1: 21 plus and present in present Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline... Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an amazing weekend. We are going to touch on five different games today in at least some capacity. We had the Kings and the Golden State Warriors in a very high-scoring affair last night. On Saturday night, the Philadelphia 76ers had an embarrassing loss to the San Antonio Spurs to drop to 3-0. We're going to be talking about that game uh, Washington and Cleveland last night had a really interesting overnight uh, overtime game. excuse me. And then the Phoenix Suns went in to Los Angeles and beat the crap out of the Clippers. And then I had some follow-up thoughts on the Laker game from last night. Those are the five games we're going to be hitting on. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least... If for, whatever, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And then one final note. So starting tomorrow, we are it's going to be even more content coming your way, guys. We're going to do, starting tomorrow, three additional live shows per week on AMP, which is a live radio platform. We're going to be targeting tomorrow Wednesday and Thursday for the first three shows on this new platform they're gonna be we're gonna be going live in the earlier portion of the evening so the way it'll work is the first slate of games will happen you know the games that start at 4 430 Pacific time uh, when those games are done we're gonna go on amp and instantly react to those games. then we'll go back and watch the evening games and then for shows like Tuesday and Wednesday night we'll go on YouTube for the post-game show at the end of the night. So again, you're going to have two live shows each of the next two nights and then another live show on Thursday. So you can count on three additional live shows per week on AMP. So you're going to want to go to my Twitter feed. On my Twitter feed, I have a tweet announcing this particular new set of live shows that has a convenient little link you can click on. When you click on that, it takes you to AMP, shows you the app. You can follow Hoops Tonight there. That's going to be a huge portion of our content over the course of the season. So you're definitely going to want to follow me there. Um, But obviously, we're still going to be doing a great deal of stuff on YouTube. So those, those two places and Twitter are going to be the three places that you're going to want to for sure be following as well as wherever you end up getting your podcasts if you guys can't get there because everything will eventually be redistributed as a podcast. But in terms of timeliness with those live shows, if you want to see them live, That's where you're going to get them. All right, so starting with Sacramento and Golden State. So a couple of rough defensive games in a row for Golden State. They really, really struggled in this particular game guarding dribble penetration from Deere and Fox and Malik Monk. Um, not just in dribble-drive situations. A lot of dribble-drive stuff from and uh, from and Fox, a lot of pick-and-roll stuff from Malik Monk, but both guys were just getting downhill way too often. And as we've talked about so much on this show, when you give up dribble penetration, it's just really hard to play good defense on the backside of that with how skilled everybody in the NBA is now. That's why I keep talking about how perimeter defense is the most important skill defensively in the league right now, uh, particularly Jordan Poole. And Moses Moody had a tough time in my rewatch. Um, you know, Moses Moody in particular was getting kind of barbecued by De'Aaron Fox. The um, I talked to you guys a lot in preseason about how it seems to me that over the course of this season, Golden State is willing to take a defensive hit to put Moses Moody through the ringer. It's his trial by fire. He's getting tough matchups almost every every time he checks into the game. It's clear to me that they're like, we see you as the guy that we're going to be leaning on big time in our playoff rotation. We need you to learn how to play perimeter defense. And so so much of that is building foot foot speed and quickness, lateral quickness, which can – a great way to get those reps is to practice guarding super quick and skilled offensive players. And then also anticipation, getting reps against all of these guys during the regular season so you just get a little bit better at anticipating what they're going to do. That said, this was a win. There was a big late second quarter run from the Warriors in this game. Basically what happened was is Moody and Poole were having trouble. Uh, when the starters came back in late second quarter, uh, Steve Kerr switched Andrew Wiggins onto De'Aaron Fox. Suddenly they got that dribble penetration under control because Andrew Wiggins is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Simultaneously, Steph Curry caught a heater What a magnificent offensive game that was from him. You could tell that left wing, that three-point line left wing extended is definitely his favorite spot to get to his off-the-dribble package. Um, But when you combined Wiggins finally slowing down Fox with Steph catching that heater, all of a sudden you're up 18. And it was kind of bizarre because uh, to be up 18 and a half where you gave up 71 points is – completely insane and then from there they kind of held them off the rest of the game the game was never really truly uh um in th- uh, threatened until I think they got back within four and garbage time but really that game was over it's an ugly win but a win is a win in uh in an 82 game regular season you know the sixers and Lakers for instance are losing these types of ugly games so there's definitely a worse spot to be in um, the defense is not where it needs to be, though, and that's not a problem. It's only been three games, but it's just something to start kind of keeping an eye on as we go through the season. So here are some um, here are some defensive metrics for the Warriors to start the season. They're 15th in defensive rating. They are 22nd in rebound percentage, meaning the total number of available rebounds that they grab by percentage. They are 21st in points in the paint allowed per 100 possessions. Not great but they are doing a really nice job depending, defending the three-point line. They're seventh in opponent three-point makes, which coincides with the fact that they've only been allowing 19.3 wide-open threes per game, which is the eighth-best number in the league in that particular metric. All of this amounts to, according to Cleaning the Glass, the 16th-best half-court defense in the league. So very middle of the pack right now. And they are eighth in transition defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. So in summation... They're defending the three-point line really well. They're defending in transition really well, but they're below average just about everywhere else on defense right now, and that's all amounting to a very average defense. Super early doesn't mean anything. This is why I'm a big believer in tracking metrics over the 82. Over the course of a season, no matter who you are, you're going to have nights where the Sacramento Kings light you up because you're just not playing much defense. That's just going to happen to every single team in the league, but – that's why we track those metrics based on all 30 teams over all 82 games. That's an average. It accounts that for everybody. And when I'm looking at um, when I'm looking at these defenses as we progress around the season, I want to see your defensive rating in the top 10. So they're in, they're 15th right now, so not a great start, but that's the kind of a metric that I want to see them hit. Every contender that we're looking at, I want to see you top 10 in defense. I want to see you at least great, great at one of two things, either great at defending the three-point line or great at defending the paint. Those are the two most efficient shots in basketball. If you can be great at erasing one of those, that's a good foundation. Obviously, rebounding is important. And then transition defense, that to me – rebounding and transition defense those are all about coaching and how tight you are in your details it's hard enough to win playoff series when you're not beating yourself so you need to find ways to not beat yourself so let's just kind of touch base on that again with the Warriors in about a week or so and just kind of see if they make some improvement on that uh front which I expect them to uh moving on to San Antonio Philly so this one I just watched the fourth quarter so they, uh, the Spurs, uh, the, the Sixers ended up t- taking a lead 88 to 87 on a Joel Embiid dunk, um, early fourth quarter. And you know, you're feeling good at that point, like playing with your food. We just talked about this with the Warriors. That's kind of a, a, a staple of the NBA regular season when you're playing 82 games, it's normal to go through these stretches where you're like, ah, the San Antonio Spurs are in town. Like, let's just get through this game. And you hang around, and then they take a few five-point leads, and you take a few five-point leads, but no one really pulls the game away. And then in the fourth quarter, you turn it up, you get the win, you get out of town, right? That's the way you're, you're supposed to handle that sort of thing. But right now, the problem is, is the Sixers aren't really playing very good basketball overall. So after Joel Embiid dunks it to go up 88-87, the Sixers lose Doug McDermott in transition for a wide-open three that he nails. Then on the very next possession – um, the, uh, uh, the Spurs set a back screen for Doug McDermott and Daniel house was guarding Doug McDermott. And he tried to, on these next two plays that I'm referencing there, he went on the opposite end, uh, end of the screen. And you know, we refer to that as going under the screen, but on a back cut, it actually looks like you're going over a screen. That is a very dangerous thing to do against a shooter or with the vacated paint. Because when, as soon as you get disconnected from a player who's going around a screen, you now have to cover more ground than that offensive player is covering. And so if you're not flying around to make a play, you're going to get beat. And so on this one, instead of locking and trailing McDermott so that if he caught it, you're right there to block the shot, he went under the screen or over since it was a back screen and ended up too late. McDermott was wide open for a layup. Very next possession, uh, Doug McDermott comes off a double wide pin down to shoot a catch and shoot three at the top of the key. Daniel House tried to go underneath the picks. And so guess what? He got disconnected from McDermott. When McDermott caught, there was nobody in his airspace. And when he rose up, Daniel House contested the shot. But at that point, he's already up into his release, comfortable and confident. That's not good defense. And so next thing you know, after uh, McDermott goes on this solo 8-0 run, suddenly you're down seven. And then on the very next possession, Doug McDermott runs off another set of uh, uh, wide screens to get a shot. And Tyrese Maxey is on him this time. Does a nice job locking and trailing McDermott, but James Harden randomly just double teams McDermott on the on the as he's coming off the screen. The Spurs just skip it across the court, pass, pass, and there's a wide open layup because now you're in rotation because you just doubled somebody for no particular reason. There's another play in that run where Joel Embiid um, made a kick out pass. To Tobias Harris in the corner that he missed, but then didn't actually run back on defense. And Jakob Pertl just beat him down the floor and got an offensive rebound put back. So it's like, my thing is like it's okay to play with your food. That's kind of normal. It's gonna happen during the course of the regular season. The difference is is like the Warriors played with their food, but did what was necessary to win the game and had these spurts of really good basketball that put them away, like they did in the end of the second quarter. When the Sixers gained control of the game, up 88-87, they went back to playing bad basketball. And when you start playing bad basketball, it just becomes about variance. You know, like, Tobias Harris missed two wide-open threes in the right corner in the fourth quarter of this game. Like, that's variance. Like, even good wide-open shooters are going to miss shots sometimes. There was a player, Tyrus Max, he caught the ball in the left corner and had an easy driving layup, but he stepped out of bounds. You know, it's bad luck. That's three possessions that you lose there. But at the end of the day... When you're playing bad basketball and you play with your food, you run the risk of variance beating you. And in this case, Doug McDermott caught a heater and you ended up losing a game. So, I mean, kind of zooming back, zooming out for the Sixers, they're 0-3 now. They will be 1-3 after tonight because they're going to beat Indiana. I'd be stunned if they lost that game. Um, James Harden was awesome in the first two games, but Joel Embiid was awful in the first two games. Uh, and Embiid was awesome in the third game. But James Harden was awful in that game. Um, you know, I've, I've obviously I've been someone who's been on the uh, James Harden's gonna ever revenge campaign um, type of season or type of uh, uh take as it, as it pertains to the Sixers and their potential this year. He had a bad game. That's going to happen. Obviously, we need a lot more than three games to determine whether or not uh, James Harden is back. I still think he looks great, but he didn't play well against San Antonio. But the problem there is not that. Um, um, you know, James Harden played poorly once or that Joel Embiid played him poorly twice. They both need to be better. This is going to be a consistent theme as we're going down the line when we're getting to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard here in a couple minutes or when we get to LeBron James and Anthony Davis when we talk about the Lakers later. Like, these teams that are star-laden, the ones that rely on their top-tier stars to lead the way, if they are inconsistent and they don't consistently find ways to dominate games, you're not, you're not going to be very good. And right now, the Sixers, have two stars that can't consistently play well. They're not very good. The Lakers have two stars that can't consistently play well. They're not very good. So that's something to keep an eye on for both of those teams. The Sixers have had stretches of great defense and stretches of awful defense. Um, They just need consistency. They need consistency from their stars, consistency in defensive effort, and they'll be fine. This is not a roster issue. I've been asked that twice in our live shows. I don't think it's a roster issue. It's just bad basketball. They need to play better basketball. Um, specifically they are 29th in transition defense, according to cleaning the glass right now, uh, uh, specifically Joel Embiid is absolutely killing them in that department by just lingering in the backcourt and trying to draw fouls and doing all sorts of stupid shit. That's getting him caught up and not getting back on defense in time. And is killing the Sixers big green, you know, big kind of silver lining. The, uh, Sixers are sixth in half court defense right now Promo code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Washington, Cleveland. The Cavs were up by seven in this game with less than a minute left. Um, And it was a pretty remarkable quick comeback. They didn't even need but 20 seconds to tie this basketball game. Uh, Chris Haps Porzingis stuck a nasty step back three over Jared Allen. The Cavs inbound to Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal just rips him and then goes up to the basket, draws a foul, goes to the line, makes two free throws, and then the Cavs go back into Donovan Mitchell. He brings the ball to the floor. Will Barton brings a bunch of ball pressure, and he rips Donovan Mitchell and goes down and dunks it. And, like, everyone in the arena is just looking around at each other. They can't even believe what just happened, and suddenly the game is tied. Um, So the game goes to OT. And uh, Kyle Kuzma in particular was pretty sloppy in overtime. He missed a couple of free throws. And then there was another play where Bradley Beal drove baseline, And Kyle Kuzma was in the weak side corner, and uh, DeLon Wright was in the dunker spot. And as Beal was going through, you know, we we talked about this a lot, if you guys remember, over the summer when we did our five-out offensive principles video, where we just kind of broke down what five-out offense looks like. But everything about, you know, these dribble, drive, and kick five-out offenses depends on relocation. So, like, it's effectively like a wheel. As players are driving and kicking, you're always taking a spot, and you're always – causing people to leave their spot and go to empty spots around the floor. And so on this play, Beal's driving baseline. And so what was supposed to happen is DeLon Wright, who's in the dunker spot is supposed to vacate out to the corner and Kyle Kuzma is supposed to vacate up to the wing. And then as Beal goes out to the corner, then they all kind of loop around, right? Well, instead what happened is Kuzma stayed parked in the corner. DeLon Wright ran into him and then Kuzma pointed at DeLon Wright to go up to the wing and then Kuzma went up to the wing with him, even though he just told him to go up there, all of a sudden there's nobody in the corner, and that's your main outlet as you're driving and kicking. Like Every team always wants to keep that corner, the strong side corner and the weak side corner, filled with shooting or just an option because when you are driving to the basket, it is very difficult to make cross-body passes back out to the wing or to the top of the key. The easiest passes are to the corners. you got to keep them occupied. So just a couple of sloppy mistakes from Kuzma uh, that caused them an issue. On that particular turnover, Chetty Osman ran out and got an and-one, and the game was basically over. Huge plays from Cavs in, in OT. Um, uh, Karis LeVert had a really nasty pull-up jump shot on Bradley Beal, like a step back at the left elbow where he got a ton of separation. And then Donovan Mitchell blew right by DeLon Wright, rejecting a pick-and-roll, got downhill, and, and uh, um, got an and-one. Delon Wright in particular had a really hard time keeping Donovan Mitchell in front down the stretch of this game. There was a uh <laughs> not only was he beating him off the dribble, but at the end of regulation, after the catastrophe from Donovan Mitchell that caused the game to be tied, he hit a step back move on DeLon Wright where he exited the frame. Like he didn't fall, but like he was he generated 15 feet of separation, and Donovan Mitchell was completely wide open on the right wing he just missed the shot so um I thought it was interesting that DeLon Wright was even in in the game at that specific point um I would probably gone with Monty Morris but I I, it it is it is what it is I, I don't know I haven't watched the Wizards enough to have a really good feel for how they all play together I just thought that DeLon Wright kind of felt like the weak link to me in that closing lineup uh Jared Allen has been the most impressive Cavalier to me so far you know, what's funny is, is he, I, I hated his contract when he signed it. Some of you guys who've been listening for a while, I uh, will probably remember that. I just got to eat crow on that. I was completely wrong. Um, he's a lot. I, I hated it because I viewed him as like a very traditional shot blocking center that can roll hard to the rim and, and have some vertical spacing. And I hate the idea of spending, you know, $20 million a year on someone like that. But the truth is, is that Jared Allen's actually a lot closer to Gobert defensively than he is to like a Damian Jones, for instance. He is not a stereotypical rim protector and vertical spacer. He's one of the best in the league at it right now who also switches out to the perimeter really well. There was a play, it was either late regulation, I think it was OT, where uh, he got switched out onto Bradley Beal, and Bradley Beal tried to pull Jared Allen out to the corner so he could throw it down to the post and in the process Jared Allen just pressured up and and ball pressured him forced him to throw a very looping pass and it ended up getting turned over and I, it, like he d- he did well on switches throughout the game i uh i was really impressed by Jared Allen in this one um and now you know he's better offensively than Gobert he can punish switches and knock down a little hook shot he's more uh, he's just he's just a damn good basketball player Um, and now his contract looks a lot better than Rudy Gobert's. Obviously, Rudy Gobert's a better player than Jared Allen. I want to be clear about that, although I do think it's closer than people think. Um, But at his number, at his contract number, I'd certainly rather have um, Jared Allen at this point. The uh, uh, Cleveland so far is eighth in half-court defense according to Cleaning the Glass, despite having a pretty bad defensive backcourt. So that's a a nice start for Cleveland. Uh, Moving on to Phoenix Clippers. This game was over in the first quarter. Uh, just a, just a clinic in perimeter defense from Phoenix. I was watching this game and I made it like four or five possessions in. And I'm like, Oh man, the, like the Clippers are not getting downhill at all. So I started tracking it over the course of the rest of the quarter. We got through seven minutes of basketball before a Clipper finally got downhill and an either engaged a help defender or, or made a layup. And on the play that they did, it was a pocket pass to Zubach and I think uh, Norm Powell cut out of the corner and Zubac dropped it down to him for a layup. But I was like, man, that's the first time in almost the entire first quarter that they got downhill. And the main reason why was the uh, Mikael Bridges just absolutely locked Paul George up. Like Paul George is going to have nightmares about Mikhail Bridges for weeks. And then they kept going to Marcus Morris to attack Devin Booker because of the size mismatch. And to Devin Booker's credit, he kept sliding his feet and taking contact in the chest and forcing him to take tough jump shots. He actually made a couple of them, but like overall on the perimeter, Phoenix contained the dribble drive. And if the Clippers don't get dribble penetration, their offense falls apart. And I mean, yes, Kawhi wasn't playing in that first quarter, but Kawhi in particular looks pretty slow right now. And he didn't look great when he came in later in the game. So. Just something to keep an eye on for both teams. Like that for Phoenix is a legit weapon. Their ability to contain the basketball. Um, yes, Chris Paul doesn't look great yet, but they're getting so much out of Devin Booker right now. It might not. It might not even matter. Phoenix very clearly is still more than talented enough to win a ton of games in this league. We'll get to them more in just a second. But with the Clippers, they. Early in the season, John Wall really is the only guy on the roster who's been getting consistent dribble penetration, and that's going to be a problem for them. I've I've talked a little bit about how I'm concerned about some of the age of their wings. And if Kawhi and Paul George, similar to the Embiid-Harden thing, similar to the LeBron AD thing, if Kawhi and Paul George don't start playing like top 15 players soon, the Clippers are going to start to flounder a little bit um, in how deep this league is. So with Phoenix, Chris Paul's been off to start the year, but Booker's been so good that it doesn't matter. His shot making in that first quarter was insane. Hit a nasty step back over Paul George at the left elbow. He had like a one-legged like crazy double pump short jump shot over Marcus Morris driving along the left block. That was insane. He had another nasty pull up three by around the three minute mark of the first quarter. uh, The Clippers were blatantly double teaming Devin Booker out at half court to get the basketball out of his hands and immediately when they did, Mikael Bridges got a dunk because now you're playing four on three on the back end. But just like, if Booker's going to be this good, Booker's been playing like a top 10 player to start the season. If Booker's going to be this good, then it just doesn't matter what's going on with Chris Paul because of how much talent there is on the rest of the roster. Um, you know, we we questioned before the season, will they, you know, flounder in the standings because of some of this drama? And I, and I said, I was like, I don't know, they might, but... What I said was they have the mo- like some of the most talent in the on te- the entire league outside of their stars. So, you know, just by going out there and putting the jersey on, they're going to win a lot of games. And so far, they're off to a good start. Uh, before we get out of here for the day, I wanted to just drop a couple of thoughts uh, from the Lakers. Um, some positives too after what what everything that went down yesterday. Uh, I have not had a chance to completely rewatch this game. I'm going to do that tomorrow during the day. Um, So keep an eye on my Twitter feed during the day tomorrow. A couple of big bright spots. The Lakers are second in defensive rating. Yes, we've been critical of their perimeter shooting for good reason. I said before the season they're going to be the worst in the league, but it won't be this bad. Like, they're literally shooting, like, 20%, you know, and the 29th-ranked shooting team in the league is just under 30%. So, like, yeah, I I don't think shooting is going to be a strength of this team unless they make a deal, which they will hopefully eventually – But the truth of the matter is, is they're, they're going to shoot closer to 30% and closer to 30% with the number two defense in the league is going to be enough to bump their offensive rating down or up from the worst in the league to something closer to the middle of the pack. Now, you know, I had a couple people in the comments yesterday saying like, how could you view this team as a second tier contender? Again, if you are a top five defense and you are a top 15 offense. Like if you're around 15 in offense, you absolutely are right up there with the Phoenixes and the Denver's and the Sixers of the league. That's that's that second tier of contenders. Yeah. They're not talented enough to be a Clippers, Celtics, Bucks, Warriors type of team. That goes without saying. They would need an enormous amount of luck in the trade market and in the buyout market to reach that point. But if they are a top 5 defense, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis scrounging out a top 15 offense, that's just simple math. You're going to be a, uh, a team that's capable of beating anybody in the league on the right night. Now, so much of that is going to depend on them getting that shooting back up to where it was and getting Russ out of the rotation, particularly in crunch time, because you're going to lose some games that way. Uh, but I, I just wanted to draw, put a little bit of positivity on this because for being 0-3, To have a couple of specific things you can point to as big positives, like being a great defensive team, that's something you can cling to, especially in that locker room when you're trying to keep people bought in when the wins aren't actually following the work that you're putting in. Uh, Here's another really good stat. The Lakers have played 38 possessions so far this year with LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor without Russell Westbrook, have a plus 13.2 net rating, meaning they're beating teams by 13 0.2 0.2 points per 100 possessions and they've been awesome on both ends of the floor so and that's to that to me is with LeBron and AD still not really playing that well like I think they've each had two great halves of basketball I think Anthony Davis was great in the first half against the Warriors and I thought LeBron was great in the second half against the Warriors and I thought both of them were great in the second half against the Blazers but Everything else has been pretty average by their standards. So they still have a lot that they can improve on. But even in spite of that, the two of them without Russ have been a dominant basketball team. That's a legitimate plus that you can take from this. And then the last thing I wanted to say, I think it's time to send Russ home. Okay, so you want to play it cool and you want to be patient and you want to wait for the right trade. I get that. I mean, I don't get it at the expense of having Russ in the locker room. But I get that. Now on the court, you have immense depth in the backcourt. You actually don't need what Russ brings you. Troy Brown Jr. came in yesterday and basically played the Russ role through, you know, the most of that second half run. You know, just just doing the things that they're asking Russ to do: defend a little bit bigger wings, you know, push the ball in transition, play off of LeBron and AD. He did all of those things and did them better than Russ does because that's what he's been doing his whole career. He's been a role player his whole career. Russ is trying to learn how to be a role player on the fly. So you're better without Russ. The numbers show that. Everything shows that. So rather than – like, guys, that's toxic. After the Clippers game, I'm pretty sure a fan, like, cussed Russ out as he's walking out into the the locker room. Yesterday, Lakers players are – answering questions about the Russ crunch time thing. LeBron's having to tell reporters like, hey, I'm not going to tell you what you want me to say. You know, we had Juan Toscano Anderson having to defend Russ in the locker room after the Clippers game. The media is doing their job. They're asking those questions because it's their job. One of the biggest stories early in the season is how clunky the Russ fit is, and it literally cost them a game on Sunday against the Blazers. So we can pretend all we want that it's not a big story. It is. It is the biggest story. It's the biggest story with this Lakers team. That's the reality. Okay? Second biggest story is probably the shooting issue. The shooting issue, the only way they can resolve it is by trading Russ. So everything comes back to Russ at the end of the day. The reporters are just doing their jobs by asking those questions. The real culprit here is Rob and Jeannie for not knowing Somehow, or just choosing to not accept the truth, that if they brought Russ back, the basketball would be clunky, the fans would have a huge problem with it, and the media would would help stoke that fire because it's good for media success. All of that is fact. And they knew that. We had tons of evidence to show that last year, and they brought Russ into this anyway. They did this to him. He is a victim of what Rob and Jeannie have done to him. The media is doing their job. Russ is the story. The fans have every right to be upset. Their team is struggling because because of the Russ trade, and the Russ fit is clunky and is hurting the team right now. All of that is true. But they also are playing well without Russ and have enough depth in the backcourt that they don't need him. So spare everybody the trouble. Let him go home to his family. Let him stay in shape and condition. He'll get moved somewhere. The next time he plays basketball will be for a team that wants him there and that wants him to have the basketball in his hands and or he'll be out of the league long enough that he'll embrace the role player things. And at that point, he can play basketball in a less toxic environment. Then the Lakers can patient, if they want to wait till the deadline to make a deal, they can. But at least in the meantime, they've got all players that fit alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis and they have time to build continuity with those lineups. Because when you make the Russ trade, all you'll be doing is bringing in more players to help supplement that. There's just no reason to keep him around at this point. Darvin Ham, you got to save him from himself. He can't help himself but put Russ into the game for whatever reason. Darvin Ham said after the game, why, they asked him, Why did you go with Russ in crunch time when that lineup was playing so well? He said, I wanted more athletic, per- I wanted another athletic perimeter defender out there. Troy Brown is a better athletic perimeter defender than Russ right now. That's that that, that he played better defensively in that game yesterday. So Darvin Ham is not seeing it or is willingly going against it for the sake of Russ's ego. You have to save Darvin from himself by getting Russ out of the locker room. If Rob Polinka wants to methodically work out and have an opportunity to prove to us that patience was the right strategy to the Russ trade, fine, but don't subject Russ to this anymore. Don't subject the basketball team to this anymore. Send him home. Le- like, it'll be better for literally everyone involved. And then not to mention, it'll help you regain leverage in negotiations when the Russ basketballs... like Right now, you look desperate because Russ is out there hurting your team. Send him home. I don't care if you take two, three months to make a trade at that point. At the very least, let this te- this group learn how to play with each other. Then you can bring in reinforcements when you're ready to make a deal. That's where I'm at with the Lakers right now. All right. So like I said, you guys know the drill. Tomorrow, we're going to be doing our first AMP show. Um, I believe it's after the um, uh, the evening game. I'll tweet out exactly which game we're going after. But uh, we'll be doing a live show there. And then we're going to be on YouTube after the final buzzer of the, uh, the Warriors game tomorrow night. So I think it's Warriors-Suns, if I remember correctly. So make sure you get over to my Twitter feed and uh, download the AMP app. And then follow Hoops tonight there. And then definitely be on my Twitter feed so you guys can get an idea of where things are going to be in terms of show scheduling. All right. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support, and I will see you times two tomorrow.